0: hope you're breathing it all in the last time we meet at 6 o'clock.
1: Next week is uh, an afternoon
0: service because it's the fifth Sunday, and then the next week we're we'll meeting at 5 o'clock. There's only one. I'm glad nobody saw this. We've already announced for change. We've got signs up everywhere. We've got everything ready. We've bought a new business card. There's only one unintended consequence that nobody thought of.
1: I'm used to preaching until about 6.35. Too late to change now. I've seen it happen before. And if you've been a Christian very long, you have as well. And when you see it happen, it breaks your heart. This part doesn't. The beginning's wonderful. It's the person who obeys the Gospel. And we rejoice, of course, when that person puts Christ on in baptism. But the part we don't rejoice with, the part that breaks our heart, is when they just kind of stop showing up. Maybe they stop coming to Bible class or a youth devotional, and then maybe it's
0: a worship service here or there. And you notice, and you're brothers and sisters in Christ, but you're also a friend, and so maybe you drop by for a visit, or
1: send a text message or write a letter or or make a phone call or do anything you can and they'll scarcely let you talk with them. And it becomes very clear very quickly that unless something dramatic changes, they won't be returned to worship anytime soon. If ever. And that very personal thing can leave us asking a two-word question that we may never know the answer to. What happened? Oh, there might be any number of reasons. Some that may seem to have a level of legitimacy.
0: Others probably don't. But each and every time this happens, it is nothing short of a tragedy. And it breaks our heart because that's a brother in Christ. That's a sister in Christ who's fallen away. And we're not sure if we'll ever win them back. A couple of weeks ago on Sunday nights, we began this series walking through the parable of the sower, one type of soil at a time. And we're just simply looking at those types of soil that Jesus. Gave the parable about, one of the beautiful things about the parable of the sower is that Jesus also took the time to interpret it for us. We don't have to guess at this. We don't have to try to say, hey, what does this equal? What does this mean? Jesus told us that. Two weeks ago, we talked about the wayside soil or the soil along the path, but obviously that's not the only type of soil in the parable. In fact, the situation I just described a moment ago, which we've probably all seen play out, and many of us have seen it play out far too often. Is at least part of what is in view with the second type of soil, the rocky soil. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, excuse me, we're using Matthew 13 as kind of the background, but I want to read the parable tonight from Mark chapter 4. We're going to each time read it from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then come back and read from Matthew the fourth time. John does record it for us. If you turn to Mark 4, we'll read it in just a moment. While you're turning there, though, let me tell you a little bit about rock. Many of you, when you were in school, learned something about the hardness scale. Mohs hardness scale. One to ten. Rocks that are very, very soft are a one. I'm told that talc is a one. And I thought about bringing talc tonight and say, see, you can crush it with your fist. I knew as soon as I did that, it wouldn't break and I'd be more embarrassed than I usually am out here. At the complete other end of the scale is diamond. A ten. A rock that is so hard it's actually used to cut other rocks and used for many many precision things strength things the rock that jesus had in mind in this parable likely was some kind of either sandstone or limestone that is very common in the nation of israel and if so on that hardness scale according to Mohs hardness scale somewhere between a six
1: and a seven something that will make a difference Something you wouldn't want a metal implement to hit. Something to be hard to work with. With that in mind, let's read the, read the parable. Mark 4, 1-9. through 9.
0: Again he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside, on the, sea, uh, excuse me, beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing,
1: and yielding, thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear.
0: Now with that in mind, go ahead and turn back to Matthew thirteen. That's the text we're going to use to kind of walk through this. It's interesting to me that as far as the number of words in the parable itself and in the explanation that Jesus gives. There is more to be found about the rocky soil than any of the other three. It may be the type of soil we think about the least, but it has the most words. But as we said a couple weeks ago, as we go through this lesson tonight and think about how Jesus interprets the rocky soil for us, I pray that we'll learn not just some information, although that's helpful, but also hope that we won't just automatically think, well, this has to be about somebody else. Instead, as we examine the text,
1: I hope we're examining our own hearts. Are there traces, even, of this type of soil in my own life that I need to rid myself of,
0: be forgiven of, and need to work on? Three observations from the rocky soil as Jesus, Jesus interprets it for us. Number one is immediate receptivity. As with the wayside soil, one of the interesting things to keep in mind about the rocky soil is that this is not someone who has never heard the word of God, or this is not someone who has you know disdained for it? The wayside soil, you recall, heard the word of God but lacked understanding, maybe because of prejudice against it, maybe because of indifference, maybe because of a life just crusted over by sin. But the rocky soil we're considering tonight was more open initially to the word. If you're in Matthew 13, look at verse 20, where Jesus is explaining the parable and he says. As for what is sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the Word and immediately receives it with joy. Now in that explanation, there are three things to to point out. First, notice Jesus says they heard the Word. He's not saying they heard some philosophy. They didn't hear some watered down teaching. Jesus makes it clear that these are people who are hearing just what the Word says. In His day... This would have been people, obviously, who were hearing him teach. Some would have heard John the Mercer teach. Most, if not all of them, would have heard or read the Old Testament prophets and writings and laws and those sorts of things their entire lives. But the point is, these were people who had heard the truth. In our day and time, these are people who hear sermons. These are people who hear faithful lessons about baptism for remission of sins and proper worship and all those sorts of things. They hear the Word. But also, they receive it. But notice, they don't just receive it. Jesus says they immediately
1: receive it. Prejudice against the words of Christ, if there is any, is just taken away by the truth.
0: They see the power. They see the life-giving nature of what it is that's being proclaimed or read. In our day and time, I can see this type of person being one who who follows along with a sermon with an open Bible or maybe with an app on their phone and they're, they're highlighting stuff or underlining stuff to, to study later, to remember later, or to memorize later. They receive the Word and to do so right away. And also, they immediately receive it
1: with joy. Parentheses, opinion. That's my favorite part of the whole thing. With joy. This is what
0: they've been looking for. Maybe they're feeling the weight of sin and guilt. Maybe they're going through a difficult time in their marriage or with child rearing or with a financial downturn. And they feel the the, the true life that comes from God's holy Word. And they may not understand everything about it. But they see that living a holy and righteous life is God's way. And they see the love of God just pouring forth from the text. And they begin to see, this is what I have been looking for. This is a joyful thing. Who wouldn't want to know someone like that? This is the type of person you want to have a Bible study with. I mean, every time you point out something to them from the Word of God, you you can see just the the light bulb go off in their head. You can see the fire just light up inside of them and they're filled with with joy. They might have some struggles along the way. If I've got
1: some things to change, but God loves me. Jesus loves me. It's a beautiful thing. And then maybe you're there. On that day when they walk down the aisle at the end of a circle. Or maybe you're the one they call on a random Tuesday morning and they say, Could you meet me at the church building? I'm ready to be baptized. And you're there, Where you're the one actually putting them in the water, or not. Maybe you're sitting 17 rows back, but you see them make that decision and that life transformation. And you
0: shed tears of joy, not not because you just had a you know you did it. You of course
1: didn't do it, but you knew you know you helped. You know you said something. You taught something. You you pointed them in the right direction. And oh, I wish this ended here. But something happens, and that's what makes makes this part of the parable tragic.
0: (laughs) Excuse me. Because in the second place, we see a lack of depth. The first part of verse 21 states about this person who's just been filled with joy over the truth of the Word of God, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. Now there's something back up in the parable itself that we need to grasp to help with this point. If you're in Matthew 13, look back up in the parable itself at verse 5. Other seeds fell on rocky ground. Notice it where they did not have much soil. Now, why point that out? Jesus was not trying to give a picture of a guy who was actually throwing seeds on top of an actual rock. He wasn't saying there's a big limestone out there and the guy is throwing seeds on top of that. There was some type of soil. In fact, in that part of the world, there are many places where there is limestone or sandstone with a thin layer of soil over the top of it. That's what Jesus is talking about. And some of you who try to garden or a flower bed, you get the idea, maybe on the same way, the same uh, topography that that, uh, that they have over there. But maybe you've tried before and not really worked the soil all that much and, and the top little bit of soil looks pretty good and so you you start to dig down It's a little bit to plant something and all of a sudden, whang, 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 whang. And you realize, for one, that was really dumb, but also I've got a whole lot of work left to do.
1: But when you do that, you know the seed has an opportunity to take root and to start producing a plant,
0: but it's not going to have the opportunity to develop those roots deep, strong, full.
1: There's a key phrase in Jesus' explanation in that He says this person endures for a while. This is the person on this side of the cross who is a Christian. There's no doubt. They've heard the Word. They've received it with joy. This is the person who's obeyed
0: initially. But this is more than that it seems. They endure for a while. This might be someone to put in our modern day time who, who walk up to one of our, our our deacons and says hey i keep hearing you all say that you help teach in bible class i'll i'll help with that in some way shape or form I, i'll help with vacation bible school i can't do a whole lot but i can do something this might be a man who walks up to one of our elders and says I'm kind of nervous to get in front of people, but I see these guys passing trays. I can do that. Surely. I, or I can serve on a security. I, I can do something. Or I can host the kids for a UT vlog. I, I can do something like that. I mean, this person has come into the, the fellowship of God and they seem to be doing well, but all the while they're not really deepening their faith. They have the right outward appearance, but all the inner stuff isn't really getting any deeper or stronger. If you like to grow plants, you've had something like that happen. Maybe you Plant something and it shoots up out of the ground. You've got a row of beans or something and they come up all nice and straight. You can go about that tall, your mouth starts watering. You can already taste them. You know, when that's going to happen in a few weeks. But then you look out there a few days later and just a little section, not that long, just doesn't look right. Everything else is okay, but a couple of them just don't look right. They're kind of shriveling up. And you re- reach down there, dig a little deeper in the soil, and they're hitting rock. You didn't prepare the soil well enough. The soil looks good for the first little while. Not deep enough for the roots to really take hold. In the year 2010, there was a man named Grant Osborne who had been to Israel several times, and he wrote about Israel now, not in Jesus day. Although you know, as far as geog- uh, geography and stuff, not much has changed. But he said this: He said, even today, one can see a fully ripe flower shrivel in seconds when hit by the hot sun and hot wind from the desert. That's the type of land and soil, or lack thereof, we're talking about. That concept led one scholar to write this simple way of summarizing the the, uh, rocky soil. He said, there was no depth of character, or feeling, or emotion. Now I really like that quote, because that writer did not say, there is no character, or no feeling. Or no emotion. That's not what he said. He said there's no depth of character or feeling or emotion. That's what's going on with this new believer. On the outside, he or she looks all right, but they're not developing and deepening their faith on the inside. It's mostly outward stuff. And there's only so long a person can spiritually be viable when they're not developing the inside stuff at a deep, deep level.
1: That's why certain things are so important not only the life of an individual Christian, but the life of a congregation. It's why it's important for our Bible classes to actually teach the Bible. We should be very, very thankful that our elders here place a premium on
0: making sure that our Bible classes are Bible classes. I'm not saying that can't be a topical study, but it's always based on the Word of God. It's why it's important that we make sure that we always preach and teach the Bible publicly.
1: When I stand up here, or Noah stands up here, or guest speaker stands up here, or whoever, this is not story time. This is time for the Word of God to Christ. But individually, it's also why taking in the Bible in our own personal lives is absolutely invaluable.
0: If I may just be so blunt, we have far too many Christians
1: who spend far too much time reading about the Bible and not reading the Bible and studying the Bible. Now I'm not saying you can't use helps. Of course, all of us do. But the
0: text must be the text. And when we fail individually to take in the Word of God, we're setting ourselves up for disaster as we'll see in a moment in the parable. But the same can even be true of a congregation. Remember, God told an entire nation in the Old Testament, in Hosea 4 and verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If we're not preaching and teaching the Bible, then folks, we're nothing more than just a social club or a community center. We are called to be God's people. We must stick with Scripture at every level. Paul's reminder is to study to show yourselves approved unto God. That must be our calling card. If not, it inevitably leads to what we see next and tragically in the parable. And that is superficiality to spiritual death. Jesus makes this parable one that is very real to life to many Christians. What causes this scene to fail to produce, if you look at verse 21 again, is this. Tribulation or persecution that arises on account of the Word. Now I want to point something Again, it's found back in the parable itself. It may seem really, really obvious, but it needs to be emphasized. If you're still in Matthew 13, go back up to the parable in verse 6, where Jesus talks about the seed on the rocky soil, and He uses
1: this phrase, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. Why, why point that out? Because the sun rising and the sun being hot is about
0: the most natural thing possible you don't believe me, walk outside about noon tomorrow. Now it may have been a scorching sun, but that's to be expected in the growing season. Anyone who tries to grow anything in most parts of the world knows that's something they've got to think about. The heat of the sun, the heat of the day. But why point that out? Because Jesus is trying to make it clear that we will face tribulation. A word, by the way, that means trial or testing. And we will face persecution on account of the Word. It is virtually as natural as the sun coming up and being hot. In fact, Paul would later write, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. I want you to think about this concept for a moment in light of the context of the time in which Jesus gave the parable. There were some who heard this parable Probably many who had heard John the Baptist preaching, and their hearts were stirred. A lot of people loved how he he called out the hypocrisy, the religious elites of his day, and those sorts of things, and further of course, they're hearing Jesus teach but also do much the same thing, and they, they see these massive crowds and they join those crowds they, they see his miracles, they hear all these parables that recorded in Matthew thirteen and mark four it's a crowd so large that Jesus has to go out to
1: a boat to teach. As He's pressed against the shore, they're excited. They're listening to Him. But, as it became clear that Jesus was going to require some things of Him
0: that weren't going to be easy, and as it became utterly clear that He was not going to set up an earthly kingdom as they thought He was going to do to overthrow the, the leadership of Rome, they began to slide away. And then when the tables are turned against Jesus and those who had been faithful to Him now had pressure
1: put on them, one of the saddest phrases in the Bible, then all forsook Him and fled. Now, you and I may not face the exact same thing today,
0: But how many people are faithful to the Lord for those first few days or weeks or months, maybe even years after becoming a Christian, but they never really take the time to deepen their faith. They come to worship, they sing the songs, but they're not truly deepening
1: their faith. And then when the first major test of their faith comes, they sink away. Because they don't have a depth in what they believe. They don't know how to handle the hostility. Most, if not all, of what they've had is
0: superficial. Just surface stuff. And there's nothing truly strong
1: underneath to bolster their faith in a powerful and full way. One New Testament scholar wrote this, speaking about the rocky soil. Unless truth takes deep root in the
0: human heart, It will be recanted as soon as it meets any opposition.
1: Thin soil produces superficial commitment. I have one problem with that quotation. Superficial commitment is not commitment. There is no such thing as superficial commitment.
0: We might say, this is the person who wants all the spiritual highs but they don't want to sink down spiritual depths. This is the opposite of passages like John 8.31, if you continue or if you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. This is the exact opposite of passages like Hebrews 3.14, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm unto the end. And Jesus says that when this happens, when this rocky soil begins to be scorched, the person falls away. The King James Version and some others have the word offended. And it's in the realm of possibility, but I don't think it's a strong enough word. Because the word here is actually the Greek word from from which we get our word scandalized. It has the idea of falling for a trap. It had the idea of the part of a trap where a bait was located. And so it came to mean the person who falls for it. They go for the bait. They go for the trap. They fall into it. And how true that continues to be. When we fail to deepen our roots in the Word of God, we are likely to fall for anything and everything that presses against our faith. A superficial faith is no faith at all. And so this person, even though it looks like they started out well, ended up spiritually dead because it was nothing to sustain them through the heat of the traps of persecution and tribulation.
1: And it is absolutely a tragedy. Now, It'd be really easy for me just to end this lesson by saying so in conclusion, we need to study our Bible more. And certainly that could be a takeaway. But what does that look like practically? I'm not saying
0: I'm going to give you seven steps to better Bible study or anything like that. Bible study looks different to different people.
1: But let me just give five reminders very briefly. I know I'm running over on time. Five very brief reminders if we're going to Develop roots deep in the Word of God. Number one, be daily in the Word of God. I'm not saying you have to spend 12 hours a day reading from the prophets. That's not
0: what I'm saying. But drink from the Word of God every day. If you need help with a Bible reading plan or something, that's fine. Or maybe you decide on a topic or a book of the Bible you just want to study more deeply But every day, hear from God through His Word. Two, combine your time in God's Word with prayer. Remember the promise that James gives, if we'll ask for wisdom without doubting, God will give it to us. Why not apply that to the reading and studying of His Word? I really want to understand this passage, this concept, this topic. Pray for help to understand the deeper things. Pray for the wisdom of how to apply things that you learn. Pray for opportunities to share things you
1: learn. Three, we've mentioned this already. Demand that Bible classes actually study the Bible. I remember very well.
0: And it wasn't here, it wasn't it was less than five hundred miles from here, okay? And it was many years ago. Lee and I were traveling one time. We stopped at a congregation on a Wednesday evening for Bible class. As Will Sings was the only church we knew of close to the hotel we're staying in, so that's where he went.
1: I still remember to this day what the class was about. They were dealing with an ethical ethical issues that particular quarter. And that night I heard what the local newspaper said an article that particular day about that particular subject. I heard what a doctor who was a member of the class felt about that particular ethical issue. I learned that night what a Christian author had written about some of these issues. Literally never a verse of the Bible. I never heard what God had to say. Ladies and gentlemen, that was a waste of 45 minutes of my life. I need to know what God has to say. And connected with that for. I'll say this as one of the preachers here. I hope you demand that of our sermons. That the Bible is open. That the Bible is taught. That if we study
0: a topic, it comes from Scripture. If we walk through a text, we drink deeply from it. Within five, understand that difficulties and yes, maybe even persecution will come. While you're studying the Bible, yes, to honor God and glorify God and ultimately go to heaven, you're also preparing your heart for the inevitable darts of the devil. Because he does not like it that you become a Christian. And he does not like it that you're trying to deepen your faith. Folks, the devil doesn't mind if you remain superficial. He really doesn't. He doesn't mind if you come to church all that much if you remain superficial. And the reason is, He knows that as soon
1: as the heat is turned up, you're going to be gone anyway.
0: Instead, we'd have the mindset of the psalmist who said, Your word have I treasured up in my heart that I
1: might not sin against you. Psalm 119, verse 11. So how are your roots? Do you only have the outward, outward trappings of faith? Or are you really digging deep into the Word of God? I've seen it happen. And you've seen it happen too. Many of us could look around this room and actually pick out places where someone or someone's used to sit who seemed to be absolutely on fire. And then something happened. And it hurts so bad. I'm going to be very personal. This is the third time I've given this sermon. This series of lessons actually was developed for Paulus the pulpit last year. Actually for 2020, but then, you know, 2020 happened. And they asked me to do it in 2021. They canceled again. They said, hey, you do 2022. I'm going to preach these things in And then the meeting that I held a few weeks ago at Hickory Grove, they asked me to preach the same series. I thought, perfect timing. Of the three times I've taught these lessons, when I was opening tonight and got a little emotional, that's the only time it's ever happened. It's because I can see seats. I can see seats. Where brothers and sisters in Christ used to sit, What happened aches my soul. But it also should cause every one of us to say, I don't want to be next. And so I'm going to remove the rocks, or really allow God to remove the rocks. And become better soil Do you have rocks in your life tonight So will you come Always say the same to encourage you.